It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. It's almost unbelievable that Trump has extricated the U.S. from the Iran nuclear deal. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we need to have conversations about all of the conversations about all these things going on in Colorado and going on in our country. And uh, indeed, dissecting these issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Um, wanted to just let you know we've got a great show planned for you today. Uh, we'll, we'll do some headlines this first segment. Second segment, we'll be hearing from Sherry Gibson. She is the vice chair of the Colorado Republican Party. And we want to pick her brain and find out what's what her read is on what's going on in Colorado and what can we do about it. And then in studio with me right now is Karen Levine, good, good friend, and uh, Peter Wall, good, good friend as well. Karen is an award-winning realtor with uh, REMAX Alliance and uh, our go-to. We've been, we've been friends for a long time. And, we have. Uh, so if you're thinking buying or selling your house, you are the person to talk to. Certainly am. And I have your phone number memorized. It's 303-877-7516. And I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of. Yes, you are. And Peter, we've known each other really for a long time as well. When I was on city council is how we met with each other. Exactly. Exactly. It's been a long time. Yeah. And you are with the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. That's the one, DMAR. Yeah. And you are their kind of their government relations person. That's correct. And uh, so we're going to be talking about this uh, ordinance right now. It's in Denver that the, the Colorado legislature kicked it around called right to survive. But what that actually, you know, we certainly want people to be able to survive and we want to be compassionate. However, this baby is something, a, a whole, whole different thing. So we'll talk about that in the third and fourth segment. Uh, but do want to give a, a shout out to my great team, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, and Keith. Thank you for all you do to make this show really happen. And I really appreciate all of you. And uh, we do need to know why we believe what we believe. And that is why I'm partnering with Dr. Tom Cranawitter. Uh, and we have brought you Vino and Veritas. We are studying, studying the Federalist Papers. And if you want more information on that, go to Americhicks, uh, and, let's see, dot com uh, forward slash Vino, or you can uh, email me at americhicks.com and slash uh, forward slash Kim. Karen, you are attending Vino and Veritas. Just a quick, are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's very surprising to me that um, I have never read the Federalist Papers, and my husband is doing it um, with us as well, and he had to read them in high school, and he's revisiting um, that and obviously seeing it through different eyes, and um, it should be required reading um, for our students, I think, in high school to understand the Founding Fathers and what they wanted for our nation. Yeah, I, I have never read it either, which, and so it's really been a great thing. So again, go to americhicks.com forward slash Vino for more information on that. Let's go ahead and jump in here. Our little inspiration, or big inspiration for today, is from General George S. Patton. As you all know, he was uh, one of the, the generals in the European theater in World War II. And he says, success is how high you bounce when you hit the bottom. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, today's funnies. Steve, are you ready? Hold on, Karen and Peter. Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> Three things. Did you ever wonder 
Why is it the time of day when the slowest, when the traffic is the slowest, is called rush hour? <laughs> okay. Why didn't Noah swat those two mosquitoes? And lastly, you know that indestructible black box that they use on airplanes? Why don't they just make the whole plane out of that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. So let's jump into some of these headlines. Yesterday, right here in Colorado, uh, Senate Bill 19181. And again, uh, what that means is SB is Senate Bill. It originated in the Senate. It's, if it's an HB, it originated in the House. It's the year number. So SB 19181 uh, was passed out of House Appropriations yesterday on a party line vote 7-4. And this is that, that piece of legislation which basically is opposite to the will of the people uh, regarding oil and gas. As many of you remember, there was a big oil and gas uh, question on the ballot in November. It failed significantly. And now what has happened, though, is it's so interesting to me that the people of Colorado said no to many of these big tax measures, but yet they said yes to people that are now in office that are implementing them. Any comments on that? Karen? Well, I just find it a bit confusing. And if our uh, elected officials were elected to represent us, the people, um, I kind of feel like they're going behind our backs. Well, and the other thing about it is the oil and gas industry, when you can just take a look at what we have right here on the table. And I know that people think about oil and gas as, you know, the fuel for your car, but you know, it heats our homes. It, we can turn on our lights. But we just look at, at the, you know, the microphones, our computers, our phones. All these things are, are petroleum-based. And these are things that make our lives better. And so just on a, a regular, everyday person's life, you know, that's a great thing. But then the amount of tax revenue that oil and gas puts into uh, the tax coffers here in Colorado is significant. And in fact, I think it's about $600 million that just goes to education. So we, here, we have politicians and bureaucrats that talk about how important funding is for, for education, but yet they're trying to kick out an industry here in Colorado that is, you know, significantly contributes to that. So it just doesn't make much sense to me. It does not. Okay, so that's one headline. Another headline here in Colorado, uh, Governor Polis says that he's going to let sheriffs can decide which laws to prioritize. Huh. I find that a little uh, crazy as well, and I think that's probably in reference to this red flag bill because we're starting to see uh, some proactive uh, counties say, you know what, we want to honor the Constitution. And so, again, this has been very uh, emotional here in Colorado. So I find that most interesting. Uh, Let's see here. President, let's go to national. President Trump is receptive to Senator Graham's call for a second special counsel to review the Russian probe origin. Now, as many of you know, uh, the Mueller report was just recently released, and in it, it said that 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 they could find no collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Uh, the other thing that they said was that they could not ex- exonerate him from obstruction of justice. However. I am wondering how you can obstruct justice for something that didn't happen. And uh, uh, so and last night, Karen, we were talking with a, a number of the girls and one of our, our friends. And I, I got to try to get this right. But she, we were talking about the Smollett case, you know, Jesse Smollett uh, in Chicago, where the uh, charges have been dr- dropped. Uh, he apparently had paid $10,000. The uh, Chicago's going to keep that. He's done some community service. I guess he stuffed some o- envelopes or something. Uh, and so he, uh, then he's basically, he's, you know, the charges have been dropped. 
it's going to be expunged from his record. And um, but they did say something along the line, but they could not ex- exonerate him from, um, um, you know, the, the crime. And Kim, our friend, said, you know, did you notice that this is the same language that they're using over here on Trump? So Trump was not guilty, but yet the language is we cannot exonerate him. But Smollett, clearly everybody knows that he is guilty. Um, and uh, the police department in Chicago is very concerned about the charges being dropped. But they're using the same language that they cannot exonerate him from the crime as well. Steve, you look like you might want to have something to say. It goes to the root of law and order, justice, the whole, the whole ball of wax. When you do stuff like this, and I just saw a note here you know, off of the Fox News website about the sliminess that's behind this, and I'm thinking Chicago has enough problems already, and it gets so slimy it'll just slip off into Lake Michigan. <laughs> well, I actually have a, one of my favorite aunts lives in Chicago, so I hope that it doesn't slide, slide off into, into Lake Michigan. A um, couple of other things. Kirsten Gillibrand is the first presidential hopeful to release her tax returns. Uh, you know, and I'm sure, again, this is one, one of those things that they have been calling for Trump's tax returns, and then they want to go through it with a fine tooth comb and, and be talking about it and confuse uh, the American people. You know, Trump is not perfect. I, I totally understand. I'm not perfect, though. No. And um, But when I look at the policies, lowering taxes, it looks like he's going to take a swipe at Obamacare, uh, which I, I think is really important. We need, this, we need to be able to get um, health care costs down. We want to make sure that people can choose their doctors. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a, a really good idea as well. He's just doing so many good things that for the American people. And, uh, you know, so this, again, I think is going to be an end run. We're going to talk about Trump's tax returns now. Now the collusion thing uh, is uh, is out of the way. Hopefully. Or not. Yeah, or not. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper is touting himself as the first presidential candidate to oppose the New Green Deal, uh, which I find that interesting because many of the things that he has been pushing forward here in Colorado, for example, the executive order on low emission vehicles is is exactly right down the line with the new green deal and uh, so uh, i find that very interesting but you know he he likes to tout himself as middle of the road but when i look at his his particular um uh act- activities and the things he pushed forward i think that he really leans pretty far left and this last headline that patty had given me uh i find a bit concerning and that is what bugs voters most about taxes is this narrative <clears throat> excuse me this narrative that the rich are not paying their fair share now here in Colorado uh, and, and in America if people go out and take risks and they create businesses and they're successful then I think that's great and I think that they should be able to keep most of the fruits of their labor however if people are making their money via uh, uh, using the government to make their, their fortunes, I don't like that. And we're seeing a lot of that happen as well. Um, but if people go out and take risks and create businesses and create jobs, then I say that's great. And let's figure out how the rest of us can have that opportunity to, to do that as well instead of demonizing people that have gone out and done well. Mm-hmm. So, what, what does that st- – when you put a broad brush statement out there like – they're not paying their fair share. What does that really mean? You better be able to back that up with some follow-up statement 
that might lend some meaning or significance to it. Because when you go right down the road and you start looking at percentages, and you know when when Jason McBride was in a few weeks ago talking about the Trump tax cuts and and all those things, when you when he actually flushed it all out, it made a lot more sense than just putting a blanket statement out there and saying you're not paying your fair share. Well, and the Trump tax cuts for the middle class, and, and Jason had actually gone through and done the calculations, um, whether or not married single with children without and across the board middle class people were going to have more are going to have more money in their pocket and so instead of having this narrative of envy mm-hmm. of looking at somebody and saying you know i i want what you have how about take a look at it and say i have opportunity and i celebrate your success and i just hope that i can have that success as well instead of saying you know what, I'm envious of you. And that is what a lot of the politics have been um, based on lately. So with that, though, we're going to go to break. Before we do that, March Madness is underway. And um, Major League Baseball is opening uh, very soon. I think maybe tomorrow or today. And Hooters, today? Okay. Thanks, Peter. (laughs) Hooters Restaurants is my sports headquarters. Uh, The Nuggets are in the playoffs, the Avs, hopefully. And uh, Hooters is the place to watch all the games. And Wednesday is Wing Day. All the wings you can eat for $14.99. Try their new smoked wings. They're delectable and only half the calories. And did you know that Hooters wings can fly? Karen, you know that because I have the wings delivered every Wednesday when the girls are over and they do love them. We get the smoked wings because they are delectable and half the calories. Half the calories. And so the girls love them. So... Game day, you know, go to Hooters. You can watch the game there. If you want to stay home, you can have Hooters delivered right to your front door. So go to HootersColorado.com for more information. That's HootersColorado.com and let them know that you know the Americhicks. We're going to be right back. We'll be talking with Sherry Gibson in the second segment and then Karen Levine and Peter Wall in three and four. All Americhick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the Americhicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and AmeriChick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best with well-priced, made-to-measure clothes that fit a busy lady's lifestyle. Gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at AmeriChicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Social media is important to the AmeriChicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. And I am so excited to have a conversation with Sherry Gibson. She is a woman I truly admire. Uh, She uh, works diligently. Uh, She is the vice chair of the Colorado Republican Party. And uh, Sherry, welcome. It's great to have you on the line. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me this morning. Absolutely. So you're the vice chair of the Colorado Republican Party, and uh, you 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 work so hard. I was uh, speaking at an event one evening, and you were there, and I think it might have been the third place you'd been. You were driving all over Colorado, and I'm like, man, that, I don't think that woman sleeps. <laughs> well, certainly not getting up this early. <laughs> <laughs> no complaining, no complaining, but... <laughs> So, Sherry, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. So, I am the current vice chair, as you stated, running to be the next chairman of the Colorado State Republican Party. I have done so many things, and you're right about traveling. I've been crisscrossing Colorado talking to voters. I have had the wonderful opportunity to be a surrogate for every candidate on our tickets and really just be an advocate for conservative principles. Okay. Well, Sherry, we're in quite a pickle here in Colorado right now when we look at what's going on down at the state legislature. Uh, What's your thoughts about that? I think we fight. I think we have to roll up our sleeves and we have to have boots on the ground, and I think we fight. I've never been more proud to see people come out like they did over the sex ed bill. Uh, You know, when we can get a few hundred people testifying over that type of bill, the red flag bill, that's always a good sign. We haven't had this type of activity since, what, 2013, I think. Okay, well, and and um, so what can what can we do about this moving into the future? You know, we were, we were talking with some girls last night, and we were talking about recalls, you know, and there's a lot of people talking about recalls, and I get that. But I said many times it appears that the radical progressive activists that have taken over the Democrat Party, this is no longer the Democrat Party of JFK, that they're playing chess, and sometimes it kind of appears like we're playing checkers or, and all, because, you know, the recalls went through. But now as we look at it, you know, a few years later, we now have, have a complete, again, I think, radical progressive activist down at the state house, And so we've got to figure out the long game. What, what do you think about that? That starts with building our bench for the future. We have to think about tomorrow. Oftentimes with elections, we get caught up in the now, and we don't think about what happens, you know, two, four, six years from now. We, as a party, have not done the work that we needed to do. The Democrats have been very strategic about how they built their coalitions and how they reached out to people, and the Republican Party just has not done that. We've always looked at money, and we forgot that it's the people who actually vote. So that's where we need to start. Start looking at the people and remembering who we are as a party and then learning how to communicate. We have great ideas. We have strong principles, good values that a lot of people can um, grab hold to, but we don't know how to communicate those principles to the larger electorate. Well, and Sherry, we talk about, okay, you talk about electing Republicans. Of course, we have a big swath now here in Colorado that are unaffiliated. I think a lot of people have been disillusioned by, you know, both sides of the aisle. But from my time when I was on city council, it was interesting to me that, you know, nobody agrees on, I sometimes I don't even totally agree with myself on things, but to get two (laughs) people to totally agree, you know, that's pretty difficult. But I was a bit astonished to see people with R's behind their names that didn't seem to have an appreciation for, like, the basic rights, like, you know, like the Second Amendment or taxation or those kinds of things. And so when we talk about electing Republicans, how do we elect people that really do care about limited government and the opportunity of the individual? 
I think you look at people's voting records. You know, a man who votes for everything stands for nothing. We have to be consistent, and that's where we fall short. People want to get behind someone who is a strong, consistent leader. And if we see Republicans, like you say, you know, going outside of our value system or doing things that are not part of our platform, they're not going to want to get behind that person. Okay. And how are you going to address this big swath of unaffiliated? Unaffiliated have, we all share the same um, challenges and we all share the same um, ideals about wanting Colorado to be the best it can be, right? So when we talk about education or transportation or some of the things that are going on in our specific communities, we, we want good outcomes. We need to talk about solutions. We absolutely have to be on the forefront. We have to be leading on these issues, and we have to talk about solutions that people can um, grab hold to. Oftentimes when we, as a party, start talking, we are myopic in our scope, and we only speak to the Republican Party. The larger electorate of Colorado wants to know what solutions we have for the challenges ahead of us, but when we speak to them, we have to speak to them in a language that they can receive it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. How do we talk to people, though, about limited government? Because so many times, you know, people say, hey, somebody should do something. And the first place they look is government. How do how do we I mean, it's harder to, to talk about, you know, the, the, the solution is within ourselves instead of government. How do we really talk to people about that? Because I think that's one of the big messaging challenges. We have to make things matter. You know, we have to make things personal. Why does it matter to an 18-year-old barista in the 16th Street Mall if they're going to run jobs out of Weld County, you know, oil and gas jobs? We have to make it personal. So the way that I always tend to explain it is something like this. Listen, if it costs more to transport goods to your organization, then you may not get that raise that you're looking for. It may not be as big or it may not be there at all. And I know that rent is really expensive in Denver. Or, you know, something like if it costs more to transport goods to your organization, then they, your company may have to cut that tuition assistance that is helping you get through college. When you make it personal and you make it matter, then people can understand why they should be voting with you instead of just voting against you. And what would you say to that barista regarding health care? Uh, you know, that seems to be a couple of big issues. You just hit education and health care. What would you say to them about that? You know, I would talk to them about understanding how sometimes people develop health challenges later on in life. I know when you're young and you're healthy, it's not really on the forefront of what's going on because you're looking at things like rent and college tuition. But there still has to be an affordable solution for you once you graduate. And that's where Republicans can rise with, you know, the solution to the health care crisis. Okay. And on education, let's uh, let's think about these young kids that are getting out of college and are have a, a big, you know, a big piece of debt that they're concerned about. And so it's very attractive, like on the New Green Deal, to, to talk about, you know, free college. What would you say to young people about that? I would talk to them about how when you have something free, it, it devalues the degree. So I remember a few years ago when we were going through the Great Recession, and it used to be where veterans really had a strong resume. They had an associate's degree, and then they had their you know 
honorable discharge, that was strong and opened a lot of doors. That no longer was the case during the Great Recession. You saw the bar go higher and higher, and all of a sudden, jobs that were bachelor's degree uh, required turned into master's degree required or PhD preferred. And so I would challenge folks to continue to think about what is the value of your degree and your experience behind it. Okay. And then one other thing, speaking of veterans, aren't you a veteran, Sherry? I am. I'm a veteran of the Navy. Okay. And how long did you serve? I served for two years and 10 months. I had a a two-by-six contract and then extended to uh, serve a little longer for a program I was completing. Okay. Well, great. Well, Sherry, if people want more information about you or want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? They can give me a call on 719-209-3799. They can shoot me a text at that same number, and I will get right back to them. Okay, and that number one more time. 719-209-3799. Okay, great. Hey, Sherry, it's great to talk with you. Uh, Greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Have a wonderful day. You have a great day as well. And let's jump over. John Buckingham from Presidential Wealth Management is on the line with us. Jason McBride, he's off on vacation right now, right, John? Uh, that is correct. He's out for the next couple of days. So you are man in the fort. I am doing my best to hold his fort down. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, welcome, John Buckingham. And uh, today, you know, you gave some great uh, in- information yesterday about uh, interest rates and yields, the inversion curve and all that. Today, let's talk about knowing what you own. Okay. And, I, you know, I think that when you're making an investment choice, you're essentially going to do one of two things. You're going to look for an investment that holds a set basket of securities, whether it be stocks or bonds or whatever, like an index fund or a unit investment trust, something that you know exactly what you hold. Or you're going to want to take a look at the manager of the fund, the management team, and say, okay, well, Warren Buffett has been very successful over the years. I'm going to invest in him and his team and trust that those securities that he goes in and out of are going to work for me. Um, so the main purpose there is to either have faith in the management team or knowing exactly which securities you hold so that you or your advisor can track those for you. And, and how does an individual do that? How do they you know, make sure that they know what they own? Well, I think the, the one thing to know is, you know, with a mutual fund, you get the management team in and out of stock, so you're really not going to know what's in there at any given point, because by the time you get the quarterly report, it could have changed. Whereas an index fund, you know if you have an S&P 500 index fund that you have the 500 stocks in the S&P, and that is what you're going to hold unless you sell that index fund. So you know precisely what's in there. Um, The same holds true with the unit investment trust, where they may buy 10 or 20 different securities. And again, like mutual funds, that can be stocks, bonds, or a combination or anything. And so it all just comes down to, you know, knowing which specific securities are in there so that you know, hey, if this particular fund has too much health care beyond my preference or too much tech, you can get in and out of that kind of stuff on your decisions or your preferences rather than hoping that those types of securities aren't in your portfolio. Well, and and that is really what you guys do is you you do all of that research for people uh, right. I mean, I, if somebody has questions, I mean, they, they should come to you and ask you guys for the, for the information on that. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when we're looking at it, every individual has to remember that just because one recommendation is good for 
you know, neighbor A, neighbor B may not have the exact same recommendation because of the different circumstances. So it, it does also come down to your individual situation and making sure that it's appropriate for your situation and what you need that money to do for you. Well, and I think it's important to realize that, yes, everybody is different. It's very personal. And so if people would like another set of eyes on their nest egg, because it is so personal, uh, you and your, your team over there at Presidential Wealth Management can do that for, for folks, right? We absolutely can. Okay. And so more information, you can go to chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. Or the phone number over at Presidential is 303-694-1600, 303-694-1600. And, John Buckingham, thank you so much, and we will talk to you again tomorrow morning. That sounds perfect. Have a great day. Okay, great. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. We're going to go to break. I am so thrilled to have in studio with me Karen Levine. She is an award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance. And also Peter Wall, who is uh, the government guy at uh, the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. We're going to talk about this right to survive. Uh, It's something that is so important that you understand. So we will be right back. Work with mortgage professionals who will give you quick and accurate financial advice. Home Mortgage Alliance has the knowledge and expertise to explore the many financial options available to you. The mortgage process can be stressful, and as interest rates rise, it's more important than ever to get pre-qualified now so you're ready to buy. Call Kim Sturtz and Mark Cook with Home Mortgage Alliance to make sure that you're making the right financial choice for you and your family. 303-888-2732. Kim and Mark will remain available to you 24-7 to help you through the process. Choose the only mortgage professionals recommended by the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Call Kim and Mark with Home Mortgage Alliance today. 303-888-2732. Dan Predovich and his team at Predovich & Company help your business plan ahead financially. The AmeriChicks with Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich & Company as your financial business consultant. Predovich & Company will take care of your tax preparation, bookkeeping, and business advisory services. Dan Predovich and his team want to learn about the unique needs of your business through real, honest dialogue. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich & Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call 303-791-3000 to start preparing now for tax season. Organize your business finances with Predovich & Company. Call 303-791-3000 today. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation offering you a conservatarian perspective. And we're going to have a conversation today with Karen Levine and Peter Wall. So, Karen, welcome. Thank you. And, Peter, great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. This is your radio debut. My radio debut. Woohoo! All right. So, and uh, I've known, Karen, you and I have known each other for many, many years. And, uh, Peter, we met when I was on city council. So it's great to have you here, both good friends. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Right to Survive. Okay. Uh, Peter, why don't you set this up? Sure. So just a little bit uh, background. I'm the government affairs director for the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. So we're the largest local realtor association in the state, 7,200 members. And really we have um, two main goals in terms of our advocacy efforts. We're promoting home ownership and we're protecting property rights. So love that. (laughs) We love it too. And it's really, really important to us. And I think, you know, protecting someone's nest egg is, is essential to our, to our business and their lives. So 
um, what we're facing right now is an initiative that's going to be on Denver's May ballot um, in May 2019. Um, the election day is May 7th. Um, and it's a citizens initiative, meaning that um, a group of citizens in Denver, uh, a group called Denver Homeless Out Loud, Out Loud who's a homeless rights advocacy group, um, collected signatures from Denver residents, 4,700 of them, and put this initiative onto the ballot in May. And essentially what it does is it allows an individual homeless or not, to occupy a public space or a semi-public space 24-7, 365 days a year, so long as that individual is not committing a crime. So I think a lot of people start asking, you know, what is a public or semi-public space right. in Denver? Um, on, on the most high level, um, Red Rocks is a, is a public space. Our parks are public space. The Denver Center of the Performing Arts is a public space. But I think most importantly, talking about this initiative... Um, public spaces are tree lawns, they're parkways, as I mentioned, they're parks. They're sidewalks in front of someone's home. So you could truly have an individual that could camp out, set up a tent, or could occupy the public space in front of your home, your tree lawn, your sidewalk, in perpetuity. And I think what's most dangerous about this initiative, and it's unprecedented, there's no other city in the entire country that has something similar to what's being proposed here in Denver. What's most dangerous is, let's say an individual exercises their right, if this were to pass, they occupy that public space. You as a property owner go out there and ask them to move. Or even a police officer goes out there and asks them, ask them to move. Or even a service provider, let's say the Cardo Coalition for the Homeless, they go and try and ask that individual if they'd like help and services. It is that person's civil right under this initiative to occupy that space and if you are in any way harassing them or they perceive it as harassment, it's a civil rights violation and they can sue you. I think that's the most dangerous piece about this initiative. Astounding. And it goes, it goes, that's why it goes so much further than any other. You know, we've seen other ordinances. We've seen other laws that have been passed in L.A., Portland, Seattle, across this country. But that civil rights violation piece is something that, that is really concerning. I think it's, it's shown in the fact that we have a lot of the service providers, the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, the Salvation Army. Um, you know, Catholic charities. These groups are coming out and saying we're particularly concerned about this initiative because we want to be able to help people. And that civil rights piece, a lot of people are concerned that it's going to prevent them from actually helping people get the services they need. Because we want to see people in support of housing. You know, as realtors, Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. as DMAR, we want to see people in housing, whether that's short-term supportive housing or eventually long-term housing. We want to see people get mental health services. That's obviously a big component of homelessness. So, you know, we want to see solutions and we want to see initiatives that are focused on mm-hmm. coming up with solutions, particularly in housing and mental mm-hmm. health services. And unfortunately, Right to Survive does nothing to help the homeless. Um, Peter, another question. I, I read that. I read the ordinance, or I thought I did, and I missed that civil rights component. And I can see why that's so concerning. I, I have to ask just a, a question, though. Okay, so you have your lovely home in Denver. And somebody decides that they want to camp so they could, like, could they put a tent on the sidewalk out in front of your house? So all the sidewalks in Denver um, are are public right away. They are owned by the city. Someone could put a tent uh, on the sidewalk in front of your home in perpetuity, so long as they're not committing a crime. Okay. So then I'm thinking people living, though, I mean, going to the restroom. I mean, what, I mean, so somebody's parked in front of your house. Can they be, I mean... I'm just kind of concerned about that. Very concerning. I mean, I I think we've seen, um, you know, particularly other cities that have adopted similar type of legislation. Again, this goes much further than them. But let's take a city like L.A., for example. I think we've probably all seen, read, or heard about um, a a portion of L.A.'s downtown called Skid Row, 50 square blocks. Um, And it's 
dominated by homeless. Um, and, and one of the main problems is there's, there's not enough access to restrooms. Um, I think they have maybe six public restrooms in those 50 square blocks. So, I mean, it doesn't pub- take a public, rocket yes. scientist to figure out this yes. is not going to be a good um, thing. So you're seeing a lot of problems. I mean, in 2018, there was an extreme typhoid outbreak in Skid issues. Row in 2018 because, you know, you have people that are defecating on the streets because they have nowhere else to go. So it's, it's, it's definitely a concern. Um, with this initiative here uh, in Denver. You know, Karen, people get pretty whacked out, uh, whacked out if people don't clean up after their, their dogs. I mm-hmm. can't. I mean, what do you think about this whole right to survive thing as a, as a realtor? I know, well, you're on the National Board of Realtors, and, you know, that what Peter said, I mean, this is one of the things that is so important to you is, is private property rights and people being able to have their homes. What do you think about this? Well, um, Definitely. I have a, a heart for the homeless and I, I, I feel for them and I'm compassionate about them. And, and the homeless population is a population that we want to shrink. We don't want it to grow. And what I see with um, this type of initiative is that it makes homelessness look really good. Um, it looks positive and it looks like, well, I can be homeless and I'll have a place to live. And, and so it's twofold. You're making something that really isn't a positive state of being, and we would like people to not be homeless. We would like people to have appropriate shelter and appropriate health care, and yet we're going to allow them to live in places that are going to affect people who do have homes and take away their their rights and their equity and, and their value in their homes because it won't be very desirable if someone's living out in front of their house. Um, so it creates a problem that I know that the hearts of the people that probably put that forward um, have really good hearts, but they're not looking at the long-term um, effects. effects of this yeah. of this potential um, legislation and and. Not as severe, but pretty severe in Colorado. If you look at construction defect legislation, those people that were representing us saw a problem and wanted to fix it, and their hearts were in the right place, but they didn't look long-term. And not looking long-term, we now have um, a, a market housing situation where we have so much rental property coming out of the ground and not ownership available property, which is causing... Um, great appreciation for sellers who want to move out of our our area, but people who want to stay in Colorado can't find affordability. So I think it's very, very important that um, the voters, when they look at this in the city and county of Denver, our Denver residents, that they look at the long-term effect, um, and this does not help the homeless. Well, and I have, I've done a lot of volunteer work. I have a heart for, I, I, for people. I care deeply about people. Uh, however, I think we need to treat people as individuals and not as pets. And I sometimes think that, you know, the way we treat the homeless, uh, it's become a big business. And, um, you know, I don't like that so much, but I've got a very pragmatic question. I think this is probably for you, Peter, since you're the government guy. Uh, I mean, conceivably, from a strategic standpoint, you could see in a close election that somebody could move people into different voting areas if there might be a real contested election and i mean i don't think you have to live someplace very long and so you might be living on the sidewalk in district a because district a might be a contested um you know political campaign 
and people could vote in a campaign. I mean, do I have a tin hat on, or is that a possibility? Uh, you know, it's the first time I've heard it, but I think it's just one of the... You heard the, it here! It's one of the many... Uh, <laughs> I heard it here. It's one of the, I think, uh, many unintended consequences that you could, you could see if this were to pass in Denver. Um, so, yeah, first first time that it's really been brought up, but I think it, it's conceivable for sure. The only... One of the things, if I could go back, him and, and I want to mention, you know, a lot of the questions we get, okay, you know, homelessness is a serious problem. We all want to help. A lot of people ask, what is the city doing? Are they doing anything right now? Um, they're putting in 50, they being the city and county of Denver, are putting in $50 million a year, either direct or indirect services for the homeless. Um, we have enough shelter beds. We have 1.2 shelter beds for every homeless person that's on the street in the city and county of Denver. A lot of people ask, how many is it? You know, it's hard to get an exact count, but it's somewhere above 3,000. Yeah. 1.2 shelter beds for every homeless individual. Um, we spend, or the city spends, 20,000, on average, $20,000 on direct services for every homeless individual we have. You know how, you know how much we spend on a student in Denver Public Schools? 12000 That's astounding. Um, it's astounding. So I, I, want, I, I say that because I want people to understand, you know, the city is already doing a lot to sit there and address this issue. Um, so it's, it's not that they're not doing anything at all. They're doing a lot. They're putting a lot of resources at it. Do we need to have a broader conversation, a more vigorous conversation about how we address it? For sure. Um, but uh, I just want to make that clear to folks that, that the city is doing a lot already, and I think hopefully once we defeat this measure, we'll have, we'll have a stronger conversation about how we can continue to address the issue. Well, we're going to go to break, but to that point, I'm going to do a little Ronald Reagan quote that I did just recently. It says, government's view of the economy could be summed up in a few short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. So, my friends, $20,000 per homeless person, and, and I think the estimates are in the 3000 range. And if you subsidize it, you're going to get more of it. And then to your point, if you make it attractive, you're going to get more of it. And ultimately, it's going to affect the middle class mm-hmm. and the people that are out there you know, working hard. So how can we be compassionate to people that are you know, on the down and out? And also make sure that we protect that that dream for um, people moving into the middle class. So this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. We're having a conversation with award-winning realtor Karen Levine and uh, Peter Wall, who is the government affairs person with the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. We will be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. As a Colorado representative to the National Board of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. I'd love it if you'd like and follow me, offering you a conservatarian perspective. And uh, we're talking about... 
uh, a really important issue that is going to be on the ballot in for Denver voters in May, and that is this right to survive. We have in studio with us Karen Levine, award-winning realtor with uh, REMAX Alliance, and Peter Wall, who is the uh, government affairs person with uh, the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. Uh, Peter, you've done a really good job set- setting this up for folks on what potentially could happen with this right to survive. And Karen, you mentioned that you thought, you know, this is something that you, you have a heart for homelessness. I mean, we, it really does break our hearts when we see people on, you know, that have had a lot of bad luck. However, it sounds like we're subsidizing this. We're, we're putting $20,000 per homeless person um, towards them in, in Denver. And, and if we do that, we're probably going to get more of the problem instead of solving it. So during break, Karen, you were talking about the, the numbers of going to homeless of 20,000 uh, per person. And Peter, you said it was 12,000 for a Denver public school student. So what did you think about that, Karen? Well, it, it causes you to question um, use of dollars. And as I mentioned, my concern for homelessness, I mean, I, I earnestly don't want to see people living on the streets. I also know there is a, a segment of that populace that chooses that lifestyle. Um, as taxpaying citizens, is it my responsibility to encourage and to um, make that lifestyle more comfortable? Um, because that's what they chose. And that's where I say, um, if that's your choice, you should fund that choice. And the taxpayer shouldn't be funding that choice. And that doesn't mean that there aren't, there's not a handout, a hand up. Um, Colorado Coalition for the Homeless is a great resource. There are many nonprofits out there that that is their work. And um, as we've seen um, in many programs, um, those organizations have better use of dollars and better track records of getting people out of homelessness than our government dollars. So I'm thinking about Denver. You know, I've been in Colorado for a long time. It's It's a city that I love. And uh, I don't go downtown very much for, like, a variety of reasons. There is not any parking. It's difficult to get down there, and it's dirty. And it's not the city that I fell in love with. And I hope that we can get this whole thing turned around. But, Peter, it's not only this right to survive. I mean, it's astounding to me that we could have people camping on the sidewalk in front of our house. And I mean, in a way you could almost, you could start to harass one person and not another by having a whole bunch of people in front of their house. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm in a very cynical mood this morning as I talk <laughs> about that, but it, it seems like we're taking these policies that are, would, in, would enable people to, instead of giving them opportunity and, and being creative and, and doing better in their lives, we're looking at the right to survive where hey, it's okay to camp in front of somebody's house. We're not going to worry about where you go to the bathroom or, or things like that. And then, then we had the thing that, that uh, ended up, doesn't look like it's going through right now, but this was the safe injection zones. And, and again, so would government actually be spending money to enable people to destroy themselves? I mean, that's not the American idea, Peter. Yep, so I, I, I want to be, be clear on one point here that you know, all of our elected leaders in Denver, the current city council, the mayor, um, in fact, many of the candidates, uh, there's an election, too, in, in May um, on, on the ballot with the Right to Survive initiative where you have 
all 13 Denver City Council members up as well as the mayor. None of those elected officials have come out and endorsed us or supporting it. Many, if not all of them, are coming out and opposing it. So I think what we're, we're, and I bring that up because what we're seeing is, I mean, this is a show about conversations, right? It's it's when, when individuals feel like they're not heard by their elected officials, ultimately what happens is they sit there and go to the ballot. They collect these signatures. The bar is way too low to get something on the ballot in Denver. They literally had to collect 4,700 signatures mm-hmm. to get on the ballot. And if there's 3,000 homeless, it didn't take long. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure they got some of those folks to sign as well. But when the bar is too low, we're not having a conversation about how to address the problem. What happens is something ends up on the ballot. We're spending millions of dollars fighting it. Those are millions of dollars that could be going into additional resources to help the homeless. And that's that's housing. That's mental health services. So I, I just bring that up because I think I think there needs to you need to draw the line and kind of recognize that sometimes you have elected officials that are pushing pushing bad policy but this this case it's you know you have some residents you have a a, a very active you know homeless rights advocacy advocacy organization that put this on the ballot well and when we talk about the rights they're they're calling this a right and um i i i don't think it's a right that somebody can go and park in front of somebody's house and camp there for perpetuity and Karen, you know, the middle class, a vibrant middle class, is something that makes America so unique. Home ownership is one of those key components to the middle class. And when, so we talk a lot about affordable housing and how, how expensive uh, things have gotten in Colorado. And I submit to you that a lot of it is because of government policy. And you just hit upon it, and that is the construction defects legislation that was put in place that basically stopped Con, uh, development of condominiums here in Colorado. And a condo was a way for many young people to start to get into some kind of ownership, to start to create some equity. They get that equity, then they can bump it up to a home. Mm-hmm. And now people are being pushed into apartments and, um, you know, kind of small apartments, encouraged to ride light, light rail. And, you know, I, I find that that's kind of an affront against the uh, American dream. Yeah, and what I found interesting is when I was um, at the National Association of Realtors um, annual meetings in November, um, many states um, throughout the United States is being challenged by the uh, amount of uh, rental apartments being built in their cities. And they do not have construction defect legislation on their books. And so what I see is that Colorado has an excuse because we had that legislation. But what's happening nationwide that we're not seeing more ownership units being built? Um, We know we have history that ownership creates wealth in a family unit. It creates wealth for our communities. It brings communities together. It makes for better education. It makes for less crime. Home ownership has been the foundation for the wealth of America and so my question to all of us is, what is going on in, in our political government arena that is wanting to take away that? And I fear that homeownership get, empowers us, non-homeownership takes away our liberties. And so you're on the national board, and, and you, you have such a great way of, of messaging and listening to people. And you've had some conversations on the national level about this. We have, and, you know, it's a very large board of directors, and there's lots of issues, but, 
you know, you just hope that if you bring up the topic, you'll cause conversation like we're having here and people will start to become aware that um, we're diminishing the value of home ownership and how can we regain um, that in our nation and in our communities. Right. So instead of devaluing home ownership, which I think that this right to survive would do that, mm-hmm. we want to empower people. And uh, Peter, we're getting close to the end of our time. And once again, kind of talk about the solutions that we have for homeless here in Denver so people understand that this is not, it's not uh, uncompassionate to vote no on this thing. Yeah. So I think solutions, um, we're looking towards, you know, two things, housing and mental health services. So a lot of people say, okay, you're opposed to the right to survive. What have you supported or what would you support? Um, there was an initiative um, that ended up passing. It was on Denver's ballot in November 2018 um, called Caring for Denver, um, a sales tax increase that generates $46 million a year for mental health services and some housing services. We, I point to that in terms of that is a solution to sit there and actually address a root cause of homelessness. But telling someone that they can sit there and just survive on the street and we're not going to do anything else to help them. It's inhumane. It's not helpful. People sit there and stay in, stay in the same cyclical cycle, and we can do a lot better than that. So that's really the, the theme of this campaign. The opposition campaign is called Together Denver. If you want more information, www.togetherdenver.com. And I think we really need to sit there and, and, and one, defeat this initiative, but two, continue to have these robust conversations around housing and mental health services to, okay. to help these individuals. And you said that's Together www.togetherdenver.com. Okay, great. And then, Karen, one other thing. If Denver passes this, though, it would actually affect housing in the whole metro area, right? I believe it will. Um, If you see that, um, you know, the residents, the homeless, are taking up public spaces in Denver, um, you know, that's going to bleed over into our suburbia neighborhoods. And then it's probably going to affect pricing because people are going to want to move out of Denver and move into the suburbs. And we already have a inventory shortage, um, metro and statewide. Um, I will say inventory had gone, has gone up the past two months, um, and time on the market has increased, which means the rate of appreciation is starting to slow down a bit. But then again, I've written several offers this week, and both cases have been multiple offer situations. So it's kind of a interesting scenario um, of what's happening in our marketplace. Okay. Well, Karen, thank you so much. Peter, thank you so much. If people want to talk to somebody about buying or selling property, they need to give you a call. Uh, I know you well, known you for over 30 years. Your phone number is 303-877-7516. For Karen Levine, again, that's 303-877-7516. Peter, thank you so much. It's great to see you again. So good to see you. Thank you so much for... uh, you know, helping me have my radio debut. You know, you <laughs> knocked it out of the park on this debut, I say. What do you think, Karen? I think he did a great job. And I would just put a, make a shout-out to the Denver Metro um, Association of Realtors and our members. If you don't call me but I have a housing need, please call a realtor. That's for sure. You know what? You try to get by on the cheap and, you know, it makes it pretty difficult. So get a professional who you can truly trust. Karen Levine, I highly, highly, highly recommend her. Our quote for today, and it's kind of long, it's James Madison in his address at the Virginia uh, Convention. He says, it is sufficiently obvious that persons and property are the two great subjects on which governments are to act and that the rights of persons and the rights of property are the objects for the protection of which government was instituted. These rights cannot well be separated. 
The personal right to acquire property, which is a natural right, gives to property, when acquired, a right to protection as a social right. Now, I know that's kind of long. You might want to look it up, but I thought that that was very relevant to our conversation today. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman... Stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChick signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. Young, like a new moon rising, fierce, through the rain and lightning, wandering out into this great unknown. And I don't want no one to cry. But tell